Okay, so if anybody has any questions now, we'll use this as a period for questions on either the domains of value exploration or the donut economics um, subject. Okay, we can take Regina. Yeah, it's necessary to have the microphone moving. Thank you so much, Ponte. Um, So I'm... I really appreciate this. And then, um, so now I'm fighting that thing of despair because, like, when you said about the 40 billion would, like, solve the hunger issue and um, the donut economics model looks fantastic. And then in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, but it's not going to happen. Do you know what I mean? So here's the thing. It's like... um, like, there's, like, the cynical part of me that's, like, no one's going to listen to this woman and there's too many interests no. that um, it's just not going to happen. So how do I deal with that? You know what I mean? Okay, we know the yeah. ways to solve the problems, yeah. but they're not going to be solved. Yeah. So then what? I don't... I wouldn't be so despairing. I have to say, at the present, when we look out at the situation in this country... Things look pretty bleak, but I would have to say that I have a lot of hope and trust in the younger generation. And I'm not supposed to be political, and I'm not political, but if you saw in the 2016 election the turnout supporting Bernie Sanders, I'm not going to say that we should support one candidate over another, but they were responding not to Bernie Sanders as a personality as a person, it's not a cult of the person of a personality, but it's policies which are advocating a universal health care system. Um, he spoke very articulately and without any hesitation about the need to address the climate crisis, um, about the distortions in the economy, the need for a just economy for giving students relief from student debt. So, and I think that there's a lot, and we could see like the solidarity of people when Trump came into power, the solidarity of people in resisting these policies, these very harsh policies. So I think that the younger generation is going to see also that their future, not simply from purely altruistic motives, but even from a kind of enlightened self-interest requires transforming the economy, the social systems in a way that will be much more benevolent, much more just, much more sustainable. So I think we have to... But this doesn't mean that we just, or at least you're a younger person, that myself as an older person just sits back and waits for the younger people to get inspired and active, but even we older folks have to take the initiative in joining together. And on, again, just continuing with the climate, we saw 2014, some 400,000 people came to New York for the People's Climate March here. This is 2017, yeah, it was April. My sense of time gets distorted. Yeah, we had 200,000 people came to Washington, D.C. for the climate march. So even though there are big obstructions, but we could see that there are large numbers of people who are really 
have woken up and are coming out for, for this. I liked what you said very, very much. Your analysis regarding values mm. and the inversion of the values. And yeah. I liked um, the Donut Economics picture, which I'm familiar with. Mm. Um, but I feel that there's just, for me, a certain, you know, an elephant in the room, which at least has not been named, maybe alluded to, but yeah. not named, and I think it's important, and that is um, capitalism. Oh, okay. Because okay. I don't think yeah. Yeah. Um, that donut, this picture, which is very nice, yeah. is compatible with capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. And at the conference where she and I both participated, she was pressed on that question, mm. and she was agnostic. Yeah. And I think we have to really yeah. um, confront that because it's not just individuals who are personally greedy and can't stop more right. and more and more. Right. Yeah, yeah. The system is built on growth. Right. So understanding the yeah. deep roots of it, yeah. on the one hand, is yeah. more intimidating. Yeah. Um, a scholar said, I can more easily imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. Yeah. But on the other hand, if we have a proper analysis and pinpoint yeah. Yeah. you know the cause then we can yeah. expand our coalitions and yeah. um, so but I am I do have that level of optimism yeah. that you um, yeah. expressed yeah. to the yeah, last yeah. questioner yeah. because yeah. the younger generation surveys have shown that yeah. they have a more positive reaction yeah. to the word socialism whatever they mean yeah. by it yeah. 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 Uh, than to capitalism yeah yeah I do think we're going to need some kind of strongly socially controlled economic system. Certainly, I don't think it should be or will be socialism in the old Soviet or Soviet conception of socialism. But there will might be models. In fact, there are people like working on new models for a healthy economy, for an environmentally sustainable economy, which doesn't certainly doesn't mean like government control of all corporations or of all enterprises, but there are models emerging of employee-controlled and managed enterprises in which the enterprise is responsible not only to the workers within the enterprise, but also to those in the neighborhood in which, say, the factory or the office is located, and so that there will be participation of people from the neighborhood, workers, management, in the direction of the particular enterprise in ways that ensure social responsibility. I mean, I'm not in any way an expert in this, but what I recommend to find people who are working on these kinds of models, there's a, it's a website bringing together a number of thinkers. You might know of some of them. Gar Alporowitz, who is like, I think he's the director of a project called the New Economy Project, and James Gustav Speth. Yeah, James Gustav Speth is one. Yeah, Daniel? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, please take the microphone. I think there's an element missing in the discussion that yeah. adds to what was just said. And it's a kind of uh, economic or social level equivalent of Vipassana, seeing things clearly. Yeah. 
and that is we do not have true capitalism. True capitalism would be radically transparent. Yeah. Buyers and sellers would know the same information. What we don't know is how the things we buy and use uh, affect the environment. We have no idea how making this chair or the, varnishing yeah. that floor yeah. Yeah. making this yeah. uh, actually uh, eroded the eight global systems you've talked about yeah. to support life. Yeah. So another avenue to transforming capitalism as we know it now yeah. into a more just system yeah. like a donut yeah. system would be uh, making evident yeah. to buyers, to consumers, yeah. Yeah. the true cost yeah. of yeah. what we do. Everything that's made now yeah. uh, can be analyzed in, in um, yeah. a methodology uh, used by what are called industrial ecologists to analyze every step along the way in the life of a product, mm. like that glass up there, 2,000 different steps from sand to the time you throw it away, mm. and the ecological, environmental, social, and economic yeah. and yeah. health impacts yeah. uh, on the planet. Well, if we had that information, we could yeah. make buying decisions yeah. that would move things, particularly as you mentioned, Vante, yeah. Younger generation cares more and more about yeah, this than yeah, the older yeah, generation. Yeah, yeah. So things could move inexorably yeah. in a better direction yeah. if we had that information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have the methodology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in fact, they call that what goes on in contemporary capitalism externalization, which means that the costs, the environmental and social costs, are ascribed or allocated not to the company that makes the product, but it's the public that has to pick up the damage that's inflicted on the environment and on the social order. So a corporate a company under the present capitalism tries to externalize its costs. That is, the costs are not borne by the company, but by the public, and that enables their profit margin to be higher but if the costs were to be internalized, which would mean that the company has to bear the responsibility, the costs, then the profit margin will go down, but the cost of the product would likely go up. But that would have the effect of reducing consumption, but we would have to design an economy to ensure that those products which are really necessary for people to thrive somehow are subsidized so that Ordinary people can afford them. Yeah, please, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I, I particularly appreciated the breakdown of ontology, epistemology, and ethic yeah. as a way of understanding, you know, why we're here and how we got yeah. here. Um, I, I find that a lot of so much of the developed world lies in the global north. Yeah. And a lot of theories around how we can solve the issue also comes from the global north. Yeah. Um, and so it's almost a privilege in the sense that mm. we have had the time, yeah. this, this nation, relatively yeah. speaking, yeah. have had the opportunity to, yeah. to move in yeah. incredibly comfortable and convenient livelihoods at yeah. the expense yeah. of ravaging yeah. resources, not just in Global North, yeah. but also largely in Global South. And Wait, what I've the, heard... The last thing you said? You and, said and, uh, ravaging resources yeah. in Global North and largely in Global yeah. South yeah. also. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the things that I hear from uh, BRIC nations, those are those developing, yeah. quickly developing nations, Brazil, China, India, um, you know, when asked to, to participate in a unified 
you know, uh, capping of, of uses of resources or emissions or whatever it may be, I think I've heard that folks are like, well, you've had the chance to develop. Yeah. yeah. We are getting there. Yeah. We would like to do so, yeah. whatever that may yeah. mean. Yeah. Um, and I, in some ways, don't disagree with that. Yeah. But I also yeah. find it very challenging to then see how a world will fit into the donut. <laughs> a world like that yeah. will fit into yeah. the donut yeah. economics. Yeah. So yeah. how, I guess, uh, maybe not in a political sense, but how in a philosophical sense or yeah. spiritual sense might we approach that conflict? I would say certainly like all countries need the opportunity to develop to the point of becoming where people can live at a comfortable level where all of their needs, their basic needs are met, their health needs are met. And so for this reason, within... I think this is coming from the... IPCC, you know, the, the way entitlements are allocated to emit carbon, except that this was not, this was part of the original Kyoto Agreement, which sought to give the develop, developing countries the opportunity to burn carbon in order to develop economically. The Paris Accord is based on these nationally determined targets. But I think that there's an understanding that the developed, developing countries should have the opportunity, even by using fossil fuels, to increase their share of emissions, whereas the Western countries or Northern countries, which are already developed, have a responsibility to cut their emissions more sharply than the developing countries. So in this way that there will be a greater balance but ideally, I would say the ideal should be to promote development com- as completely as possible by means of renewable means of energy rather than in dependence on fossil fuels. And so for the developing countries to enable their economies to develop more quickly and in a more wholesome way, that they should be provided with the technologies, the materials they need to utilize renewable energy. Solar systems, wind systems, geothermal methods of generating energy, rather than relying on fossil fuels. And the consequences of this we see in the brick, we have India and China, I think, and they've been burning, especially coal, to such an extent that in those countries, one could virtually hardly breathe without incurring some kind of lung problems. And part of that is for Global North's consumption. Excuse me? But, but much of that, that is for is Global North's consumption. That is very true, and that's very, you know what I mean? so it's very hard. at the of them that we get to live Very live. rarely mentioned, but that is very true. I, I appreciate you putting the environmental in context with economics and social. What concerns me is uh, the problem seems to me, personally and seeing everybody in the world, is in our heads. 
which is really difficult yeah. to change. I mean, I was in Thailand recently, and and you'd see a society with monks and yeah. rurals. Then you go into Bangkok, and you'd go into a shopping center, and there was an entire floor of arcades with video yeah. games, and young Thais who are yeah. raised as Buddhists are entranced by this. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. very easy to get entranced, very addictive. Yeah. Yeah. But we've been, the consumerism has been in our heads since the 17th century, at the very least, certainly in the West. Yeah. Our definition of success is what you were talking about earlier, take, yeah. take, take. How do we change that? I, I mean, this, one of the problems, when the, remember when the, when the Soviet Union started, they were talking about making a new man. And unfortunately, they yeah. tried to make a new man with secret yeah. police and all of that. Yeah. But... I'm getting questions which are so difficult to answer. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I think this is where maybe Buddhism can make a very valuable contribution. Though it's not an insight that's exclusive to Buddhism. And this is dealing with the question, what is really the main ingredient in human happiness? And there seem to be maybe two sides to the brain. I think maybe Daniel could fill in much more information about this than I can. But one side is addicted to the idea of happiness as coming through immediate sensate pleasure. This would be the stimulation of dopamine. Is that what it is? Sort of the dope? Yeah. And that would be the things that come through maybe playing these computer games, consuming and purchasing lots of goods, getting immediate hits. But then the other side is the happiness of deeper fulfillment. And that they found to get that deeper fulfillment, first you need a certain definite level or floor of material well-being if one is in constant hunger, shortages of water in a country which is subjected to constant warfare, invasions and attacks, insecurity, then, of course, one can't find happiness. But once one has that level of material security, then in terms of deeper fulfillment, more and more acquisitions, more and more access to consumption, of material goods, of sensory pleasures, is not going to bring that happiness. But the happiness comes from human relationships, family relationships, community relationships, personal relationships, a sense of participation or communion with nature, um, aesthetic enjoyment. Here we're, we're in the domains of value again. <laughs> and then sort of ultimately at the top of the pinnacle, like spiritual realization, spiritual cultivation. And so I think this is where we're in a really difficult situation. But the message has to get out, and it's getting out through various sources, that the key to happiness is not through ever-escalating material prosperity, but in being able to um, participate and enjoy these other domains of value. 
And then another thing that's been discovered through the work of Richard Wilkerson and Kate. Somebody know the book is called The Spirit Level Kate Pinkerton, I think her name is. It's called The Spirit Level. Why? Then the subtitle is Why Equality Matters. And they have investigated different societies in order to see how those societies fare in regard to a number of criteria, what they laid out, like psychological, mental health, you know, the number of people suffering from mental illness, um, sense of self-confidence, bodily health, lack of diseases like heart disease, diabetes, obesity, um, teenage pregnancies, various factors like that they've investigated, and they find that societies in which there's a greater level of economic equality are societies in which all of these factors that they've investigated are at a superior level to those societies in which there's greater economic inequality. And in investigating the various economically developed countries, the countries which fare the best in their investigations will be the countries of Nordic Europe, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, um, Finland. I think the Netherlands was pretty high up on the list. And there's one country which is an economically development economically developed, which is way out and left field on all of these criteria. What is that country? Sad to say, but it's the country with the greatest economic inequality, the United States. Yeah, apart from the book, you know, if you don't want to read the whole book, they have a website. I think it's called the website, the Equality Trust. And then they have sort of brief paragraphs on each of these factors. But the book is not too long and it has a lot of graphs so it makes all of this information quite visibly, uh, quite clearly visible. Maybe we could take uh, one more question and then we're supposed to come into okay. the next segment. Thank you. Thank you, Bonte, for being here today and for your deep engagement as an esteemed monastic in sociopolitical uh, concerns. I would argue that um, it's impossible to be in samsara and be apolitical to, you know, not to decide is to decide, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I have I, to say, you know, I get sometimes blasted by some of my fellow monks who say, <laughs> <laughs> you've lost sight of the... the True aim of the monastic life. <laughs> so I, I just I appreciated deeply your comments on the inversion of values and the um, you know inversion of intrinsic and instrumental value for um, specifically for sentient beings. I mean, yeah. the ultimate intrinsic yeah. value is to be yeah. a sentient being, in my yeah. estimation. Yeah. Um, and the the idea of the the cancer by economic growth being yeah. you know. Runaway growth being yeah. uh, 
and financial gain being yeah. a cancer. Yeah. And I think about uh, our relationship to, to non-human sentient beings yeah. Yeah. Um, and the profound implications for yeah. Yeah. Uh, human health, the environment, yeah. and in a Buddhist context, yeah. you know, the karmic implications. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, given that we're here at a, at a Buddhist meditation center, uh, how would you advise yogis to be most skillful yeah. in our relationship to our non-human fellow sentient beings? Okay, well, I think I'm going to cover part of that in what would be like the last presentation in the program. But on the whole, I generally suggest one thing that one can do is to adopt a vegetarian or a vegan diet. Though I don't want to... I'm sort of not a fanatic about that. Of course, when I was a monk in Sri Lanka, as part of the regular monastic diet will include fish, and then in the later years, they were including chicken. Though I tried to be vegetarian, but I didn't get a good pro- alternative protein source. So I ate the fish and the chicken. <laughs> and I don't insist that everybody become vegetarian if you know, there's some reasons against it, though I advise it. But at least if, we're go- if one is going to use meat, then use it in a way like they use in oriental cooking, you know, just a small piece and slices rather than the heavy meat-based, typical, hearty American diet which contributes to obesity, heart disease, even cancer. And doing this out of compassion for the animals, you know, concern for the animals, it's one way. And later, when I come to the presentation, I'm going to take ag- agriculture and animal agriculture as part of the way of addressing climate change. I think it's time now we're supposed to enter into the next... I think we're going to do the, the meditation, the third meditation. Oh! On the elements. Um, yeah, that's right. Okay, so it's 4.07 now. So we'll do this, let us say, a 20-minute meditation. And this will be again on the elements. Should we take a three-minute... I need a <laughs> to go to the back. <laughs> maybe people can get up and stretch for a few minutes because we had some heavy presentation, I think, and discussion. <laughs> 